you'd open up your Bibles and turn to the first chapter of the first letter that the gospel author John wrote to the church, 1 John chapter 1, we'll pick up at verse 5, a message that I've entitled, Our Nemesis, Sin. And when you look at your own life, we generally have a couple of perspectives as believers. One is that I'm now in this state of sinless perfection while I'm walking here on this earth and, you know, I'm just the holy one and the Shekinah glory of God shines out of me. Or maybe you're like most of us and you realize that you're still a sinner desperately in need of a savior and unless the Lord is at work in your life every day, you got some serious issues. The truth is all of us, even as saved sinners, are still sinners. We still need that redemptive work in our life every single day. And that resident sin that still dwells within every believer because you're still trapped in a mortal body that has the capacity to sin, an old nature that is passing away but still has some activity that's going on, you're still susceptible to the attraction of sin. And so John is now going to write to us a passage that I think is utterly transformative in our lives if we'll allow it to be so. There are Sundays when I would say I deliver to you a panini. Uh, That would be a light meal. It's kind of the little toasted bread. Got some meat in there, some cheese, your favorite little veggies or whatever, some tomato, maybe some eggplant. It's close to lunch, so I figured I'd make you hungry. Yeah, there, there are times when, when I would say that I am a little bit more of a teacher today, I am going to be a preacher. And so I'm going to preach at you a little bit today, but I want you to know this. I preached this message to myself already twice, so you're just getting what I've already listened to. It's going to be a stake. And, and I want to encourage you to listen carefully because I think there are very few areas in the life of the church that cause more problems for people in their daily walk with the Lord than not seeing yourself the way you should see yourself and understanding this truth that I still need daily forgiveness for those things that are not quite God's standard in my life today, even as a believer who's destined for heaven. And so John is now going to speak to us. We'll pick up in verse 5. In this message, I've entitled Our Nemesis, Sin. Would you bow your heads and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father God, the one who loves us, the one who before time had a son named Jesus. And Jesus, you came into this world that the world through you would not be condemned because of sin. We were already condemned, but through you we might be saved. And Lord, because you have taken the time To save us, Lord, you also are working to transform us. And so we pray that your transforming grace would speak into our lives. Encourage us, Lord, to hear a strong message from heaven about our nemesis. That which so easily besets us, Lord, those things that we still struggle with, even as believers. And so, God, we ask you to speak to us by your word And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
verse 5 here in 1 John chapter 1. For this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now I want you to notice how John begins this conversation with us. How the Holy Spirit writing into his life these words that to us today are still absolute truth. God has no capacity for sin. He makes no allowance for sin. He's not okay with any amount of sin. If you're talking about God's character and God's nature, he is absolute sinless perfection. But for us, we fall a little short of that. Amen? God knowing that, while we're striving to be exactly that, because we are little Christ, when you say you're a Christian, that's what it means. So if we're little Christ, if we're trying to be like Jesus, then we're of course trying to be completely sinless. But the truth of the matter is, inside of everyone dwells still to this day no good thing. Your heart is still deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? You still have an old man, and that's not your husband. That is that old man, that unregenerate part of you, which you got in Adam, which is your sin nature, which still is in you, though it is repressed by the work of the Holy Spirit, and by whom you have victory over that sin, which we'll discuss next time. But the fact of the matter is, every person in here, though you are redeemed if you've received Jesus Christ and his grace, probably all of us, if we're truthful, can say there's a few areas of our lives that could stand some improvement. Amen? Probably some of you got up this morning and the first thing you did was had a thought that probably shouldn't be in the mind of a child of God. Maybe it was about the way the house isn't kept because... You have children at home, and they think that it's okay to trip over all their clothes every moment of every day. And so your thought towards them was not, oh, God bless them for their mess. It was more like, I sure wish they would not do this. Otherwise, I'm going to have to send them back from where they came. (laughs) Notice how this passage continues, verse 6. And I want you to circle some pronouns. This will be very helpful for you. It will cause you to understand the exactness with which these words are spoken. If we, when you use the pronoun we, who does it include? Little test for you. Take your hand out like this. Grab the back of your hand. Pinch that. Who is that? That's you. If you talk about several people doing the same thing, that would be what we call we. Amen? John's writing, he's including himself. Who is he? He is the apostle that was closest to Jesus. He learned from Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, is the one whom is declared the one that Jesus loved. And yet, interestingly enough, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He's admitting that the goal, the standard is that we walk in sinless perfection. 
But at the same time, he's saying we fall just a tad short of that sinless perfection. Which leaves us with a problem. Which leaves us with someone who's hunting us down, trying to get us to engage in behaviors that God doesn't want for his children. In other words, if we are having close communion with God and walk in darkness, we're not being truthful. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He's painting the picture that the model, the goal, is that we would walk in exactly the same truth and manner and direction as the Lord Jesus himself. That's a truthful way for a believer to live their lives. And he includes himself. He says, if we. In other words, God has a very high standard. And that standard is none the less than the character of Jesus himself. Anybody in here fall a little short of that? Amen? I think some things I shouldn't think. I Forget about you guys. I'll just share my story with you. I, I've walked carrying around bitterness and anger at times that does not belong in the child of God's mind as a believer. I've carried hatred for people. And I've explained it away by doing exactly what John is going to tell us is the problem we're not truthful with ourselves. And what we do then is we look at other people and we compare ourselves to them and we say, well, at least I'm not like that guy. They're a 43 percenter, I'm 86, I must be doing great. Because I'm not a fornicator, I'm not an idolater, I'm not using drugs every day, of course I'm fine. That's why John starts out with, here's the standard. God is perfect and in him dwells exactly zero sin, no darkness whatsoever. Jeff, are you like that? And when I start at that position... I all of a sudden start having an awful lot of grace for other people. Because I myself fall short of that. He continues. Couple of options for us. And so he says in verse 7 to reread it, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But here's option A. But if we say we have no sin, again, circle the personal pronoun, adding himself in, we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Ow! Well, that kind of stings. Are you saying that if I say to you or I say to God, we're still, well, I don't have any sin. God's word says you're a liar. God's word says you're a liar. The truth is not in us. 
The fact of the matter is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the reason we need a Savior in the first place. The problem is when you get saved, you are not instantaneously glorified and sent to heaven. You're still left in exactly the same body with exactly the same mind that is now being transformed by its renewal by the Spirit of God. And so to that end, we're all a work in progress. Judicially, we're saved. We're going to heaven. But practically speaking, we ain't all that. We still got a couple of issues left in our lives, don't we? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you for public confession. I'm asking you to get real with yourself. Take a good long look at you and say yes to what God is saying about you and about me. I got areas of my life where God is still actively at work transforming me and renewing me. Helping me to let go of those things which are my nemesis. I have very deep emotions. So sometimes I allow those emotions to dig into a place in my life to where I start to not trust people. And sometimes I don't even trust God. That may shock you. So I say, like, Lord, I need to hang on to that. Probably some of you in here can identify by the fact that your identity is found in how much you hurt. How deeply wounded you've been at times in your life. What other people have done and said about you, done to you. Some of you, your identity is deeply rooted in bitterness or anger. Maybe even hatred. There may be, well, some of you in this room that actually hate people because of the color of their skin. There may be some of you that are so hung up in that bitterness and anger that it has turned into a little tiny God. It's not your God. But it's one that you turn to in those moments of weakness. This message is for you. It's actually for me today. Option B. See it in verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he's just got through saying, if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. So here's option B. You recognize the fact that you've got some issues and God wants to deal with them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. God can't be anything but faithful, amen? And God is never anything less than just, amen? So if God is faithful and just, which he is, rhetorically speaking, this demands that you have to agree with it. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's two things in view here, and we'll dig into both in a little bit. One is judicially, all have sinned, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not one. And so the issue is we are sinners. We do need a savior judicially the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, 
Your sins have been dealt with by the blood of Christ. They are forgiven, forgotten. You are placed in that perfect place of righteousness according to God's view of you. And Christ's righteousness is placed in your life, in your account, in other words. Judicially, you are now free from the penalty of your sin. But there is an ongoing work that is necessary for your fellowship, both with God and other believers. And that is that daily forgiveness of the sins that you still commit. Hence John using we. Those things are still going on in your life that if you're really honest with yourself, you go, you know what? That wasn't from Jesus. That's your nemesis. That's that resident little bit of sin that's still within each one of us that sometimes we trip and fall into. God wants to both forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Not just the stuff that was going to keep you out of heaven, which was every sin, but the effects of that sin, which still gets into our our systems periodically throughout our lives as believers. Now, just in case you did not get what verse 8 says, whenever scripture repeats something, probably a good idea to listen up. For if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. By definition, sin is an interesting word. In its simplest definition, it just means that we miss God's mark. God's mark is perfection. What did it say? In him is no darkness. So to sin means that we're actually aiming at God's perfection. To miss it is a sin. So it kind of takes it off of that shelf where, you know, sin is, well, murder, of course, and rape and robbery. You know, those things, ah, that's sin. But my bitterness, no, that's not quite sin. that's, That's actually my personality. Oops. A nemesis is anyone or anything that could defeat or frustrate you, specifically with regard to you getting to where God wants you to go. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually watched National Geographic specials, especially the ones that are usually filmed someplace in Zambia or maybe in a game reserve, and there's always in every one of them the, the pool of muddy water and a river running into it and eight billion wildebeest gathered around that pool, right? For those of you that haven't seen it, let us describe the scene to you. Here's this giant herd of wildebeest. We're going to be all wildebeest for today. So join in the wildebeest club with me around the pool. And we're going to say, those are Christians, And for a purpose of illustration, you know there's always that one wildebeest that goes down to the edge of the water believing that somehow there's no crocodiles in that pond. That sin is not going to actually attack anyone ever. And boy, I'm thirsty and that water looks good. But then Mr. Wildebeest or Mrs. Wildebeest to not be genderly, you know, segregated here. Mrs. Wildebeest goes down to the water 
man, that water looks good. I don't think there's really any problem with this. And down goes the head, and all of a sudden, the crocodile has a hold of the nose to say goodbye to Mrs. Wildebeest. Sucked underneath the water of sin. A lot of Christians play games with sin in their life by thinking that they can just excuse the fact that nobody's being eaten by it right now. And so they go down to the water's edge and hope that they'll be able to extract something out of it that they want and they will never pay the price for putting their head next to the crocodile. Every person in this room is like that wildebeest from time to time. We see how close we can get to the danger with believing we're going to be the one that will escape it. We're not going to be drug in. And is a little different way to explain this to you. In Greek mythology, the goddess Nemesis was basically responsible for divine retribution. And her job was to follow people around. And if they blasphemed the pantheon of the Greek gods, then she would exact a price out of them based on their own arrogance or insolence against the gods. Bring in the minor god, you know him as Narcissus. Narcissus believes that he's the most handsome of all the gods. And so one day Narcissus goes down to a pond and he's looking and Nemesis comes along and allows Narcissus, actually forces Narcissus to see his own image. He falls in love with himself and dies right there. Can I tell you that a lot of Christians have a Nemesis at sin And they take a look at that sin and they refuse to take their eyes off of it and eventually they die in that sin. They never gain victory over it. Because they refuse to recognize it for what what it is. Jesus came to save us from that. And so ultimately it becomes about our decisions. Are you going to stay away from the water's edge? Are you going to admit that you have some areas and issues in your life that God is still working in? You're not complete yet. You're being completed. You're on a journey. You are justified by the blood of the Lamb, but you're also being sanctified. Made totally into the image of Christ Jesus. But you're a work in progress, and so am I. Every believer is. And so we have to be careful And it becomes about those decisions that we make. It becomes about what you're aiming at. So hence back to the word sin. Interestingly enough, in Austria, in the Tyrol province, there's actually a town called Sinnersdorf. Now, I don't particularly want to be known as a person who lives in Sinnersdorf. That means sinner's village. But the truth is we all do. Because we've all sinned. We all still miss the mark of God's complete holiness and total perfection. But the fact of the matter is, as Christians, we should be aiming at that perfection. I should desire to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. And yet we settle for something so much less than that very often, we kind of accept that little bit of sin and we start looking at other people and go, well, that person really has problems. So compared to them, I am golden. Here's the fallacy in that thinking. 
You're supposed to be like Jesus. Not like the person whom you can do better than. So when you actually aim at the right thing, you're going to find out you miss every once in a while. What do you do with that? What happens to those shortfallings? What happens to those things that I had illustrated for me as a camp director? One of the craziest and yet kind of interesting, somewhat funny moments in my tenure as a camp director, I got a radio communication that said, Jeff, you have to get out here. And I go, well, where do you want me to go? Out to the ball field. We've got about 20 young people. They're all from the same school. They're all boys. I said, oh, this is not good. 20 boys, late afternoon, nobody there, bad deal. I show up, I go to the middle of the ball field, here's a couple of counselors, and what happened? My staff forgot to put away the archery equipment. This is never a good idea with boys and archery equipment unattended. So they had gotten the brilliant idea to stand out in the middle of the ball field, and one was elected to shoot at nothing. Okay, let's run around and see if it hits us. (laughs) A lot of Christians, that's how they handle their spiritual lives. They shoot at nothing thinking the arrow will not come down. It's not going to be stuck in the top of your head. It isn't going to kill you. It's not going to injure you. The enemy says, oh, this is a thrill. Those boys thought that was a thrill. They ran around. We didn't die. By the way, that's most high school young men. They'll try anything that can take their life as long as they don't die. But the problem is we're supposed to be aiming at Jesus. We're not supposed to be flinging our lives into the heavens and, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. So Paul, to help us with this understanding, what are you aiming at? There in Galatians chapter 5, gives us a couple of statements, one in verse 19, the other in verse 22, about these two choices. Now the works of the flesh are evident, is what Paul says. In other words, if you want to see what a miss looks like, and you can read that passage later, you know what's interesting? It has things like dissensions heresies, outbursts of wrath. Anybody in here ever been selfishly motivated? I'm not talking about just today. The Bible calls that sin. Bitterness is sin. Unforgiveness is sin. Hatred is sin. Envy is sin. Jealousy is sin. You get the picture? So when you start putting the right ingredients into the list of the things you're supposed to be aiming at, you're going to go, oops, I got an issue. I'm aiming at the wrong thing. I'm accepting in my life that these things are okay. I'm trying to tell God that he needs to accept my sin. I don't need to be forgiven of it. Actually, it's my identity. I have a right to hang on to that. Because of what that person said to me. 
I'm going to give you a little painful fact here. In him is no darkness. So no matter how you classify your darkness, no matter what you name your darkness, if it's listed as darkness in scripture, you got a problem with God. The solution's found in this passage. And the fact of the matter is, every one of us needs the solution that's listed here. We all do. I do. We should be getting worse at sinning. Not better at sinning. And, and why do I say this? Because a lot of Christians think they can lie to God. Well, it's not really sin for me. It's sin for other people, but not me, because I'm a holy sinner. God accepts my sin because I do it the right way. No, in him is zero, no darkness. So the transformative process in your life and mine should look like this. I gave my life to Jesus. I was justified The judicial price on my head was paid. I was placed into that category of believers. I'm now a saint and I'm destined for heaven. But I only started the process known as sanctification. That includes your maturation. In other words, becoming more like Jesus. Being ultimately mature enough that when I'm finally done, I'm cooked. I'm glorified and ready for heaven. And God takes you home. But the fact of the matter is, that's a process, isn't it? It takes your whole life. But sin really becomes this issue with us. Now we're going to be disobedient to those things which we know are true. Just as the Cheshire Cat said to Alice in Alice in Wonderland, she she asked a question. She said, "Um, would you tell me please which way I, I ought to go from here? And the Cheshire Cat answered that in a very unique way. He said, that all depends on where you want to go. Where do you want to head? I should be getting worse at being in the flesh. I should be getting worse at not telling the truth. I should be getting worse at being angry. I should be getting worse at being bitter. I should be getting worse at being hateful. I should be getting worse at being jealous. I should be getting worse at sinning. Not more proficient at explaining to you why my sin is okay. That's why we need confession. That's why we need to turn to God and agree with him. You see that passage that's described there in Amos 3.3 is interesting. How can... Two walk together unless they be agreed. If you're not agreeing on direction and, and your, your right foot wants to go to Sinville, which is over here, and your left, bill want, your left one wants to go to Holy Town, which is over here, pretty soon you're going to do the splits. <laughs> you can't put one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. It's an all or nothing proposition. So what happens is you can turn to the sin side and you can walk that way a little ways, but you're walking away from the Lord. We call that backsliding. 
Or you can turn and face heaven and walk that way as hard as you can. And every once in a while, you bump your nose on something. And maybe you turn back a little bit, and we call that temptation. Temptation itself is not a sin. It becomes sin when you entertain that temptation and do something with it. And so what happens is we get tempted, and instead of rejecting the temptation and asking God to help us, we go like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Maybe I won't get the crocodile on my nose. You become like the wildebeest. We refuse to submit to what God has said about that thing. So we move in with our girlfriend. Ooh. You have to go there, Pastor Jeff? Yep. Because here's what happens. We're in love. I love him. The problem is that's fine and you probably do. But the fact that you're sleeping with them before you're married is still sin. So you're trying to tell God that your sin is actually not sin because it's sanctified sin. God, you're actually not right about this area of human sexuality. Let me give you another one. You hate that person who's taken advantage of you. And you hate them with hot heaping hunks of hate. The Bible does not say that you're okay hating them with hot heaping hunks of hate for a good reason. It says, forgive them. Well, how many times do I have to do that? Peter asked that question. (sighs) Seven. (laughs) Jesus goes, Peter. No, I say to you a myriad of times, 70 times seven, you just keep forgiving them. Well, they hurt me. Do you see how that works? That bitterness, that anger, and that hatred, as much as it's justified in your own mind, is not okay with God. Why? It's going to destroy you. It's going to ruin your life. And God knows it. But see, we hang on to it. We say, well, I don't have anything to confess. We are supposed to be doing God's things, God's way, not your things, your way. Or my things, my way. I agree with him. That's what confession means. So God gives us in this passage two options. Option A. And here's what we try and do. As per my example just a moment ago. We try and explain away by lying about the reason why our sin is okay. We first start doing that generally with other people. So when someone comes and they want to know why you're so upset and angry and bitter and jealous and you've got all these harbored feelings in your heart that are clearly not from the Lord, you say, well, they hurt me. They did this to me as a child. And I'm not dismissing the pain of those things. I'm simply saying that from God's perspective, he is able to heal anything if you will give it to him. And so he says, don't be bitter. He says, don't be hateful. He says, don't be unforgiving. Jesus himself, at the end of Matthew 18, said, and let it be so with you. If your brother sins against you, you forgive him. For if you do not forgive him, her, Neither will your Father in heaven forgive you, but rather he will turn you over to the torturers. 
He's not talking about you losing your salvation. He's saying if you want to have torture in your life, be an unforgiving, bitter person. You carry around that hate and you see what it does. So God, knowing what it'll do to you, says don't do it. Option A, well, it's the right kind of hate. It's holy hate. It comes from the right place of my deceitfully wicked heart. (laughs) You get the picture? We're incapable of actually doing these things the right way. So it becomes sin to us because we look at that person incorrectly, we respond incorrectly, we harbor those things, the negativity of it, the condemnation that comes from even thinking those things, but we won't yield it. So we lie about it. We lie to other people. Sooner or later, you're going to begin to lie to yourself. That little bit of darkness that creeps into your life, the part that John said you're not supposed to have any of because in God, in him, there is no darkness at all, you get used to living with a little bit of darkness. And sooner or later, you're going to lie to yourself about these things. And sooner or later, you're actually going to lie to God about them or at least attempt to. You're going to give God your explanation. Chief example of this, and I'll illustrate it for you in a little bit of a play acting thing. Here is the prophet, the king, the great king, the author of the Psalms, David. God, it's been hard being king. You know what this is like. I mean, look at these people. Day in, day out, whining, complaining. They're never happy. Man, this is rough. I'm going to do a little watching. Gets out his binoculars. Woo! Check that out. You know how hard it is to be king. Yo, babe. Want to do lunch? That's right, I'm king. It's not easy. You know, most of the time I'm holy, but right now I'm not thinking holy thoughts because you are hot. (laughs) The rest of the story, y'all know. Baby carriage. Cemetery. You see it? You see, David should have been out at war, but he was having a rough day. So instead of doing what kings do, which is go out and get in the battle, he's kind of kicking back. He said, you know, Lord, I don't really feel like being a leader today. Bathsheba looking good down there. He lied to himself. He tried to lie to God. So what did God do? Sent him the prophet Nathan. What happened with Nathan? Didn't receive him. Said, no, 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 no. That can't be me. I'm king. I'm the chosen one of Israel. Not you, David. And the reason we know that is because of what David did. David 
tried to blame Uriah the Hittite for all this mess. You see, option A is we blame everyone. And we justify our sin by saying, man, if you only knew how hard it is to be me. And so those little habits, those things that God's asking you to give up, you become self-deceived. You try and tell God, it's like, God, it's true for everyone else, it's just not true for me. Have you met people like that? Where the word of God applies to everyone else, it just doesn't apply to them? That is self-deception. It's true for them. But I got a hall pass from God. I got to get out a jail free card. God doesn't actually see this as fornication in my life. The Lord doesn't see this as drunkenness in my life. The, the Lord allows me to get by because I've got it a lot harder than you. My wife was abusive. My husband was abusive. If they'd have just not done that, I wouldn't have done this. That's called justification. And that in and of itself is sin. I told you this was not going to be a panini. You become self-deceived. You, you stop applying the word to you. It becomes about your own spiritual integrity. You see what happens is you start losing things that you once had. That fellowship you used to have with God, all of a sudden you can't hear God's voice. All of a sudden, the word no longer means what it once did. Those things which were truth to you not long before, all of a sudden, it's like, eh, I don't know about that. You start letting those things go. You believe lies about the fellowship that you had. You believe lies about God's nature. You believe lies about God's actions, even. It's like, he didn't really mean that. Can I tell you some of the worst deceptions I have ever heard in my time in counseling Christians is when they try and convince other people to sin with them. Very often in relationships. Well, God sees us as married. Well, no, he don't. There ain't no ring, there ain't no thing, okay? <laughs> Period. Amen. But here's how this goes down. Well, we've been dating for a week. I have really deep feelings. Yeah, those are called hormones. And so God's going to bless this. No, God's not going to bless it. The enemy is going to tell you God's going to bless it. And then you're going to get to the reality of it. God has standards. And you chose not to believe that God has standards. And then you paid the price for believing that God is not holy. And that he didn't mean what he said and said what he meant. And then you come to terms with the fact, no, he actually did mean that. And that relationship goes nowhere. self-deceived you've lost your integrity before the Lord 
You lose your GPS. There's no longer the search function on your Google Maps app. You're just kind of wandering around. It's like if you ever put the wrong parameters in on Waze and all of a sudden you you look at the, and it takes you all over town trying to figure out where you're supposed to go. That's what a Christian is who's self-deceived. You go down every street, every road, everywhere, and you wonder why you got a problem with your relationship with the Lord. And what happens ultimately is you go down a little bit of a road. You lose the blessings from your Bible. You start to get to that place where people who really love the Lord don't want to have anything to do with you because you're walking in sin. And finally, you lose your own character. You no longer even care. You go from telling lies to being a liar. And here it is, and I want to wrap this up. There's another option. Oh, and praise God for option B. Praise God for option B. I get honest with God. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God asks of us. Case in point for you is found in John 8. There in the first 12 verses, we meet this woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Jesus meets this woman after she's been tossed at his feet. Amen? You know the story. Here come the religious rulers. We caught her in the very act. She was in bed with this dude. Jesus starts to scribble on the ground. You remember? Yeah, well, uh, what's your name? Bob. Check this out. Bob leaves. Andrew? Oh, yeah. Andrew leaves. One after one, right after another, they're all gone. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has turned onto his own way. We all have an issue. There's not one person in here who is completely in the image of Jesus yet. So there's little areas in each one of our lives. And so what happens is this. Jesus could write something about you in the dirt. Remember what he says? Woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. She accepts the forgiveness of the Lord and all Jesus says to her is go and sin no more. Amen? You confess. He forgives. The next step is go and sin no more. It's not go sin some more. It's go and sin no more. It's not you get to keep it. I've forgiven it. You're cleansed. We're square. No, please don't go do that because it hurts you, sweetheart. You can almost see Jesus talking to us like, I want what's best for you. So would you please get that off of your chest? Let me have it. I will forgive it. I will cleanse you from it. And you just don't go do it anymore because it's going to hurt you. 
You see, you don't have a, like a magic sin off eraser, you know? It's like, it cost Christ his life. He shed his blood to forgive that sin. And when you sin against that knowledge, it's especially hurtful to Jesus. When I do that, when I know I'm not supposed to do something, I do it anyway. It's as if, Lord, it wasn't good enough the first time. Could you just forgive me again? I'm going to go do the same thing. And that's not what God wants. He just simply wants you to confess it. Say, you know what? God, I agree with you. You are right, and I'm not going to do this anymore. And then ask for his power to help you live a sin-free life, which we'll look at next time. pretty clear which option we want amen i want option b i want to just go to a holy god who loves me so much that he sent jesus his own son into this world so that i could have salvation and the forgiveness of my sin and so he does two things judicially he takes the penalty the price that was on my head and he pays the whole price start to finish takes care of my sin past present and future Judicially, I am declared righteous, justified. Amen? Think about that. That doesn't keep me from sinning. It just pays the price for my sin. So the second step is the part that's so essential for the we, for the believer. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness he then in a sense of personal fellowship restores you to that right place that you had before you sinned push you back in fellowship with him so if you find in your life that your prayer life is hollow you find in your life that your bible reading seemingly is meaningless if you find in your life that Christians don't want to be around you because you engage in sin and you will not leave that sin, the answer is this, confess your sin and be done with it. Let God have it and say, God, I agree with you, that is wrong and I am going to flee that sin. I'm going to treat it like an alligator in the... Zambezi River. I'm not going to go near the water again. I know you've written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I want to still talk to you. I want to walk with you. I want to enjoy fellowship. The great mistake that King David made was he tried to cover up his sin. He, He tried to heap over it with lies and deceit. When you confess, God says, that's all I ask for. That's what I want, because I love you. I want to have a relationship that's open and honest with you. And if you'll be honest with me, and you'll confess, which always, by the way, leads unto repentance, you cannot put but at the end of the sentence with God. Well, Lord, would you please forgive me, but... No, it's, Lord, would you please forgive me? I'm wrong. And I promise not to do that again. As best as within me, would you help me not to ever even want to do that again? 
then that cleansing work happens and all of a sudden you find yourself able to talk to the Lord again. The pathway's open. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back out and I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because frankly, if you didn't all raise your hand, you would have something else to ask for forgiveness for. And so would I. Both of my hands would be up. But I am virtually certain that every person in this room has some area that God is really working on you in. And it may be something little. Maybe it's just an attitude that you are having a tough time with. For some of you, it's a major issue. Maybe I touched home and I didn't intend to, but maybe I did. Maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you and you're, you're in that relationship that you shouldn't be in. Maybe you've got some kind of habit that you're entertaining right now. You're even thinking about it right now. You're going to leave this building and you're going to go engage in that behavior. And you know you're not supposed to. Let's leave those things here. If you're here right now and you do not know the Lord Jesus, the first step to even having the forgiveness of God is receiving Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now and if you would pray with me. If you're here today and you've never asked for God to forgive any of your sin and you want to do that right now, you want to know that you're going to go to heaven one day when you take your last breath and you've not asked Jesus into your life, there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Save the name Jesus. I want to pray with you first. Anyone at all, just slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. You want to receive Christ. You, you don't want to have your sin. I see that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Be bold. I see that hand. I see this hand over here. Praise God. This is what it's about. It's about being honest with God. If that's you, you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I, I haven't been honest with God. I haven't been honest with myself. And you want to start right now. Just slip your hand up for me. For those of you who have raised your hands to receive Christ, see that hand in the middle in the back. For those of you who have raised your hand and you want to receive Christ, would you pray this simple prayer with me? Again, I, I can only lead you. I can't pray it for you. I can give you some words which are meaningful, but I'm going to ask you from your own heart to just be open and honest with God. Just repeat these words from you to God's ears. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm confessing and asking for Jesus, would you be my Savior? I believe you died for me on Calvary's cross. That your blood was shed to forgive my sin and cleanse me. And I receive that forgiveness right now. Thank you for it. Lord, I believe you rose from the grave that I might be risen in new life and so I receive that new life right now and ask that you would help me to walk in your ways all the days of my life thank you for your unlimited grace that saved me from all of my sin thank you for that grace that it doesn't lead me to the license to sin but it always leads me to repentance Lord transform my life bring glory and honor to yourself through my life thank you for saving me in Jesus name amen
Amen. Those of you that prayed that prayer, after service, I'm going to ask you to go straight over to the corner over there to our prayer room. Talk to one of our prayer partners, and we have some information there. If you need a Bible, we want to give you one. They're free. We want to get you started on your way and your walk with the Lord. Get you plugged into our Get Launch New Believers program. For the rest of us, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Lord, I confess, we corporately before your throne of grace confess that there are some areas in our lives that need your deep touch. And so, Lord, we're surrendering to you. Lord, take our lives and let them be holy and acceptable to you. God, cleanse everything that needs to be cleansed from our life. Purge, Lord, those sinful areas. Help us to flee and resist. Lord, we thank you for that forgiveness and the restoration of fellowship with you. Lord, we believe that these words are true. And so, God, would you anoint us to walk in that newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.